0: I like to be a productive human and I like to be able to measure that stuff. And that can be so much the focus of, of my inner spiritual life is what I'm bringing to the table. And, and yet as my, my spiritual director likes to, who I connect with monthly likes to ask me, how are you letting God love you this right now? Right. And, uh, and it's an interesting frame to approach what we've been talking about in Isaiah 61, where it's these actions that God embodies in Christ. It's so easy to look at it through the lens of this is the mission of Jesus or whatever, but it's actually the generosity of Jesus. It's the generosity of God that is good, that is good news. It's the generosity of God that heals up the brokenhearted, that binds up the brokenhearted. Um, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to carry forward with that this morning, uh, just slowly making our way through these couple of verses, a few verses. Um, so I'm going to open with just a reading from Isaiah 61. And I'm going to read uh, right through into Luke as well, where Jesus is quoting from that passage. It's very pertinent to this morning's uh, talk. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor In Luke, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right? And then, as we've been saying, just keep repeating it because it's good to... Repetition actually helps us to get stuff in. After he says that, he, he, he closes up the scroll and then he says, today, in your hearing of it, this is fulfilled. This is the moment, right? And, um, and as, again, as we've been saying, he hadn't done anything at that point. But his presence, his nearness, he, embodied this, he embodies all of this stuff. When he is there, this is what happens. Um. And so what I want to highlight today is as we move along, this proclamation of freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners. Um, So here's the first interesting thing as I was contemplating this and reflecting on it. It's that Jesus reads it slightly different. Uh, And it's a strange addition to the text that he makes. Um, And so that's that's always kind of a... It just leads me to ask questions when I see that. And so when Jesus, who is reading the same Isaiah text... Um, he says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It's the first bit. And then what he says is he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Now Isaiah says that he's been sent to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. Um. Does anyone does anyone catch the addition that Jesus has made? Uh, well, yeah. In terms of the actual the, the, the word, I'll read it again. So Isaiah to proclaim freedom for captives, and and uh, release from darkness for prisoners, and Jesus says to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Sight for the blind. So that's an interesting thing to sort of throw in there right um and and that's kind of where I started unpacking because I thought, well, something is going on there that's important for Jesus to to bring some clarity to and um uh, you know f- the full disclosure is that I, I I'm not an expert in any of these original languages, and I don't pretend to be. I just do research from some trusted websites and and try to get some uh, input from smarter people around me that I can kind of... Con- so I'd, I never want to convey that I'm, you know, some kind of language expert. So I'm sure that's obvious anyways, but just to just to make clear. Um, you know, so again, you have, you have two different languages that are represented here. You have Hebrew, which is what Isaiah is speaking in, and then you have Greek, which is probably not what Jesus even said. He probably didn't even speak this in Greek. He probably spoke it in Aramaic. And so it's a little bit of a confusing thing, but I'm just gonna take it as it is I'm going take it as it is and assume that that's specifically what Jesus said right that that he landed on this stuff um, and so the first thing is this particular section who would we say that this is directed at so who's if if somebody hears this Jesus or freedom for the captives, release from darkness for prisoners, that sort of thing, Who, um, whose ears are going to perk up? Um, well, if I'm a free person and I hear Jesus talking about freedom for prisoners, does that affect me in a direct way? Not so much. If I'm incarcerated... <laughs> and Jesus starts talking about freedom for prisoners. Am I paying attention all of a sudden? Right. Um, and so my first question when I look at this is okay, who who is who is going to receive this as good news, right? Mary, did you have something to say? Y- yeah, that's a, that's the, that's exactly a great question, right? Um, and whoever said both is, is probably, is that you, Bethany? I think that's leaning in the right direction. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, okay, so providing a little bit more context for it. So, because uh, there's different kinds of prisoners, right? There are, there are prisoners who are uh, there because they've done something bad and they've been locked up. And so they're doing time. Right? They've they're paying back their debt to society and they're in jail. Um, so that's one group of people who we would say would be prisoners. And then there are other kinds of prisoners, and that gets kind of dark and bleak. We're not going to go too deep into that, just because of our you know mixed company this morning with the kids and such. But people who have been uh, taken forcibly and are confined in some way, right? So there's so there's that there's that form of prisoner. Right, which is, and that specifically talks about oppressed in that, and then there's something that's in common to both sets of hearers, 700 years ish apart, right? And that's that the, the Isaiah's audience, they were a, a nation that was in exile, and so they and, and they were for, um, largely forbidden from returning, like their whole culture had been had been taken from them, and they were under foreign rule right um, and so they in a lot of ways would this would resonate with them very directly right in the sense that they would not have been free they were not free to self-govern they were not free to worship exactly as they wanted to right it was the, so the, so that that language meant something to those guys and then for the for the hearers who were sitting in the room when Jesus said this um, they were in the same boat. They really nothing had shifted, changed that dramatically. They weren't. They weren't self governing, right? They were under the oppression and under the rule of um, an empire that was more powerful than anything that the world had seen before in the Roman Empire. And so, so again, they there was a sense of oppression, and so people would have heard it. I think in a lot of ways, maybe not as prisoners specifically, but there was a connection to their own personal sense of freedom. It would have meant something to those first hearers. And that's part of why there was such a confusion about who Jesus was, because he said a lot of things that a lot of people wanted to hear, because they wanted to be able to overthrow a Roman Empire who was forcing them to do certain things and pay certain taxes and and kind of putting constraints around how they could worship And they wanted to have a king who would rise up and overthrow that. That was the way that they understood the Messiah. And so this language would have sounded very political to them. And and yet, as we know from the rest of the story, it didn't quite pan out that way. Right? In fact, a lot of the people who are heroes, almost all of the people who are the heroes of the New Testament, died in prison. Right? That's a thing. Like, that happened. Right? Paul. Who wrote some of the most incredible things about freedom in Christ uh, was executed in prison, right? That's not the winning story that people were after, and uh, and so I think we have to be able to look at it and say, well, there's metaphor in this as well, right? Um, so so we've got prisoners, we've got we've got captives, right, and. And when we look at this passage, one of the things that I have often read or thought about when I've prayed for, say, freedom in some area that I feel trapped by, is I'll sometimes assume the posture of, uh, of being someone who's been enslaved by another, right? Right? I think, of, I think of addiction, I think of, of different scenarios, and there's, a, and there's a sense of, Lord, free me, right? Like the whole brave heart sort of thing. And that was in, big in the church for a while, you know. Pastors walk around waving swords, screaming freedom, you know, back in the 90s. Um, not going to happen this morning. I won't make any promises for the future, but I would be real surprised <laughs> if that ever happened here. Um, you know, but the sense of like, God, free us, free us from our oppressors. Right, and it's easier for me to read the text that way. But what's interesting is that um, that there's particularly the way that Jesus framed it. It's like freedom for the guilty, right? Like setting free those who are paying a penalty that they've earned, which is a different way of looking at that passage because when jesus talks about it he he's you know he's talking about like something that's almost like an exoneration like a forget a a forgetting of the thing that put you there and so um so all of a sudden it just gets it just gets wider too right because suddenly suddenly this speaks to a different kind of like um because I think, I think we have we can easily identify some of the prisons that we have been put into, maybe by um, whatever, let's say social media, or some people feel ensnared into certain patterns of behavior, right? Um, and feel trapped by those things, but don't necessarily own responsibility for it. But we also have another thing that we deal with, which is our internal sin metric, where we know... What we really deserve. And right at the beginning in this, Jesus says, I've I've come to set you free. And when I think about that, when I think about that visually, what I think about is one of those one of those scenes in like a prison break movie where somebody like hits the button and all of the the jails spring open and suddenly you have like a bunch of people I don't want to know running free. <laughs> right? And chaos. And there's usually like toilet paper that's on fire that's being thrown around. And it's, you know, this is the scene of chaos, right? I hope that's not what Jesus had in mind, right? Unless I'm one of those prisoners. Maybe then that's, maybe then that's more of a thing, but it's, it's challenging language. It's not necessarily pretty. It's not necessarily like a theological premise or a place to become emotionally healthy. This means something, right? It is those things too, sure. But he came to free the guilty. That's an interesting thing to look at. I want to look specifically at uh, at Jesus' three things, um, because it, it's fascinating to me, and it's, it's very interesting. So when Jesus says this, and we're going to unpack this a bit more, but he basically he basically is saying the same thing I think three different ways because the 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 blind uh, receiving sight is actually more uh, more embedded in the Hebrew text than is obvious at first reading and so so Jesus does something where he proclaims he proclaims uh freedom um it's like it's a decree it's a uh, it doesn't matter if I, go, if I walk into a prison and I sit down with a group of people. Uh, I mean, maybe I get invited in to do some music or something. If I sit there and I say, hey, everybody, you are free to go. <laughs> right? A, I don't get invited back. B, it doesn't mean anything. It's irrelevant. I have to have authority in order to decree something that's meaningful. And so Jesus says, I've come to decree something. I've come to decree freedom, right? And this word shows up several times in the in the whole arc of this passage in surprising ways. And we'll come to those in a couple of weeks to come. But this word decree shows up several times. It requires authority that is more powerful than whatever is holding these people captive, right? Um, I don't know if we're going to actually get to taking notes like this or not, but uh, okay, it's, it's enacted. And so when Jesus says, uh, f- uh, Sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, I'm, I'm sort of skipping over the sight for the blind thing, but I'll come back to it in a second. To set the oppressed free is an action, right? So Jesus makes a declaration that apparently means something. And then he springs the, the the jail gates. Like he springs... He, like there's a sense of I've, I'm springing you from prison. There's an action. It's, it's realized. It's not just a theoretical thing. Um, and I'm grateful that he says that. So he's actually setting us free. And then this recovery of sight for the blind. So... Uh, If I close my eyes and and I start walking around long enough, and I'm tethered right here, so I can't really do this, plus I'm bound to knock something over. But if I if I'm led around the room, turned around a few times, I have no way of knowing where I am in that space. I have no way of knowing who I'm next to, I have no way of finding myself on a map of this space. I'm lost. And, um, and again, you know, it's not pleasant imagery, but when, when there's like a, uh, somebody's taken somewhere, they're forcibly taken somewhere, and they're blindfolded, which is part of how that often operates. The reason why is that you're fundamentally disoriented and you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get help and you, and you just basically become helpless, right? And so I think part of what's happening when Jesus talks about um, bringing sight to the, to the blind, he's actually reorienting. He's reorienting us. So it's not just that we suddenly have a legal freedom and suddenly, the gates. You know, we, we're sort of we're outside the gates of the prison. If we think of like a, you know, one of our our prisons. You know, there's gates that surround, and you can't get out. You know, it's not just that we're on the other side of that, and then left to our own resources, right? Like, what now? I've been in prison for thirty years. I don't. I don't know culture. I'm. I'm, I'm lost. I don't have friends anymore. He, there's something in this that is actually replacing. Reorienting us, not replacing, but placing us again in some context where we can find ourselves, we can find where we are on the map, right, and particularly we can find ourselves, we can find you are here on the on the map of of god's kingdom activity right we we get to see where we are, and I think that that's a, a significant part of this um, and so, the, and again, the language when um, in Isaiah when it talks about a release from darkness for the prisoners, that is kind of the language that's there. Is its eyes opened, right now in Isaiah? It's very clearly about people who have been in a dark place. They've been in a cell, right, and they're being let out into the light again. So that's that's the orig- That's the Isaiah language is the, is describing the experience of being set free, right, from, you know, and I, I did a bunch of reading this week on solitary confinement, which is not fun reading, um, you know, it's this torture, torturous kind of practice, but it's, you know, people describe who have been down there, and some people have been down there for an in, like, inordinate amount, I mean, it's unbelievable how much time they've spent in some of these solitary confinement spaces, but they talk about feeling buried, right? They're, they feel like they're underground. You know, maybe some of them have like a thing up top where they can see whether it's cloudy or, or, or blue sky, but they lose all sense of orientation. And I think that that comes a little bit closer to the Isaiah language of being somebody who's in darkness out into the light again. But then Jesus takes it further and he talks about this impossibility of healing the blind, of the blind actually seeing. It's something that's more intrinsic to us, right? And I think that that's really important because it helps us to still embrace the reality of God's freedom for us, right? While struggling through some of our circumstances. So I mentioned Paul. Paul died in prison. Right, He had a sense that this wasn't going to go well for him and he was right. But I think it would be fair to say from his writings that he, that he had full freedom in Christ. His eyes were open. And so he didn't lose the promise in the context of his life circumstances being in tension with what he would have liked to have seen freedom look like. And that's worth holding on to for us, because it, it invites a miracle into situations that we might not have faith for as people who are sometimes imprisoned or feel like we are oppressed, right? Um, and so I love that. I'm so thankful for that. So when Jesus proclaimed something, he, when he proclaims this freedom, he's, he's using a kingdom word in the most literal sense because he's actually engaging his authority over... But his authority over what? What does he have authority over when he proclaims freedom for prisoners and for captives? Right? Like, maybe this is something we can, we can shout out together. Do you have thoughts? What does Jesus have authority over? Depression, Depression. oppression. You're gonna. uh, This is where my handwriting gets terrible. Here, that's not gonna work. Yes, oppression, demonic forces. I'll call. I'll say spiritual darkness because I think it's even bigger than that. judgment shame physical world okay physical world death. death actually yeah you could almost capitalize that one because it's kind of like our biggest adversary we're going to kind of go there a little bit, but yeah, death. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can read that. It's very small suddenly. What else? What does Jesus have authority over? Life. <laughs> that's a good, that's a, there you go. Yeah. Hmm? All powers. All powers. Again, the way that we hear this stuff is important because it, it, it it's going to manage how we respond to the truth. Right? If it's easy for us to believe that Jesus has authority over death but that he does not have authority over um, addiction, which isn't up there, but I would say that I would add that, it becomes very difficult to, to lean into this and grab hold of it. Jesus has authority over all of these things. Um, I'm, I struggle with this just, just a little bit. But I want to say this. Um, let me ask a different question. Is there any voice that overrides the authority of Christ in your life? <laughs> Might feel that way some days. What do you think? Is there any... Is there anything or anyone who has the power to override the authority of Christ in your life? What? That's right. It's just the, it, like that's right. I have I I alone of all the powers that exist of all the oppressors of all of the empires, of all of the addictions, of all of the things that might imprison me, they've got nothing, nothing on the authority of Jesus. If he says we're free, we are free indeed. Unless I say, no, I'm not. So that's a thing to think about. That's a thing for me to think about as well. It's enacted. He sets us free. He doesn't just declare it. And we've already kind of covered some of some of the stuff, but the the this thing of the guilty being freed, being released from the prisons that they've built themselves, that they've earned, that, that they deserve, that we deserve, say. That is, that is there. It's primarily in the Greek text that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is referencing. But the Hebrew words that are used are very interesting. They are more like um, uh, liberty, like running freely, f- flowing, like a torrent, like a river. There's this sense of of Freedom right it's not a passive you're no longer imprisoned it's a you are you are free right and so it's that and it's this idea of opening up our eyes being able to see again being freed from the thing that's caught us in darkness and i think that that is a powerful thing because we are freed with purpose right we're not just it's it's really not like our prison system. Where, our prison system, where once you've done your thing and your time and you're out, it's like, okay, now what? I'm just simply not in prison anymore. This is a radically different vision of freedom. Right? It's a freedom that looks like followership. It's a freedom that looks like an explosion of activity. Like it's active. And I love that. I love that that's part of the reality of this. Is where I'd like us to just land this morning. This is so woven into what the gospel is in a practice of in a practice of gospel. It is, it's so much past and further beyond the your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die. It's an invitation into something that is a profound, eyes wide open, engaged freedom um, that Paul even describes as slavery at times, but obviously it doesn't feel like that to him. Right? Um, I want to land with this idea of what happens when our eyes open and we get reoriented. We get to see the you are here on the kingdom map. Um, Because I really think that the fact that Jesus actually highlighted that, and I want to be clear, I think he highlighted it. I mean, opening up blind eyes is one of his favorite things. Like, he did it over and over again. There's at least six different people who... Uh, who were blind, who were healed in the Gospels, right? At least six, but probably more because there's a passage, I think, in Matthew where it says, and the blind and the lame came to him and he healed all of them. So we don't know what that number is. It could be dozens, right? But it's one of his favorite things um, to do. So he is talking literally, but I think one of the reasons why it's his favorite thing is because... Of, is because of what it means to, because it is a metaphor, because everyone who's a blind person who's had their sight restored to them is a walking parable of the kingdom, right? A walking parable to us, and not just because of the gift of sight, but because suddenly we can place ourselves in our surroundings, we know where we are, right and that's the invitation I think, for us this morning because I can say with certainty that you are free and that I am free in Christ. But do we know where we are? Do, have, you know, have we allowed our eyes to open to see where we are, that you are here on the kingdom map? Because I think there's something really powerful in that. And it allows us to respond to situations in ways that don't make sense unless you really know who you are and where you are. Right? And so, I just want to finish with this reading, that is so strange. I think it only makes sense if, if Paul, in particular, in this passage, has his eyes, his inner spiritual eyes, wide open, and he knows where he is. So we're going to close with this, and once done, we can head off into our respective weeks. Um, although I do think praying together is good, so I want to encourage that too. Um, so this is from Acts 16. The crowd joined in attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Um, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer uh, commanded them to was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he, had seen, when, and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to... because the prisoners had all escaped. But Paul shouted, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I'm just going to skip ahead. They, uh, they speak the word of the Lord to them. They go back to their house. Um... And, and their jailer has, uh, his whole household comes to Jesus and they have a feast together. And then they go back uh, in, in when it's daylight, the magistrates, they send their officers to the jailer saying, release those men. The jailer, um, and The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out, so Lord, whatever that is, whatever that relationship to imprisonment is to knowing your freedom to being so sure where we are on the map on the kingdom map that we know when we're when we're truly free or when we're what, what, what our battles are, I pray that you'd give us that, Jesus. I pray that you would give us that, that we would not just fight the obvious fight, but that we would know who you are and that we would know what you have decreed and that we would, be, that we would lean on the action of, your, of you freeing us and that, God, our eyes would be open wide and we would be able to see how your kingdom is moving regardless of what is happening in the immediate space around us. Give us his kingdom eyes, Jesus, we pray. And we could stand to have a few jailers in their households come to the Lord. That would be amazing. So we ask for that too, metaphorically, of course. In Jesus' name, amen.